Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 3, with Jason Fearman. Welcome to episode three of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, out of Lexington, Kentucky. Again, I want to say thanks to everyone that has listened to the show on SoundCloud or subscribed on iTunes. Our last episode with Joe Bosak had a really huge response. Um, I know a lot of people really liked it. There's been a lot of tweets, retweets, shares on Facebook. Both of us are really grateful for that. If you haven't listened to it, I highly suggest that you go to soundcloud.com slash makers of sport and check it out. Joe actually gives some really valuable knowledge into his own processes and the world of sports branding in general. I also want to say thanks to everyone that has rated the show on iTunes or left a review in iTunes. I'm very grateful for all your support. If you haven't done so, I would love if you would take a moment to do that. Makersofsport.com slash iTunes will take you there. Today on the show, we have Jason Fearman, a brand strategist at Mesh Integrated Marketing and Advertising in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Before Mesh, Jason was the director of publications at LSU Athletics for more than a decade. He oversaw the creative team and visual identity and has received numerous awards for his work from COSIDA and the American Advertising Federation. During his time at LSU, Jason coordinated 80 media guides, game programs, and posters that finished best in the nation in the annual COSIDA Athletic Publications Contest. What's up, Jason? How are you, man? Hey, Adam. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem, man. Glad to have you on. I do have to ask, though, so did you get a championship ring in 2007? Uh, I got a championship ring in 03, 07. <laughs> And then five Final Fours for women's basketball, thanks to Pokey Chapman and Bob Starkey. Nice, on man. on the coaching staff. They, were, they treated the people that worked and supported the team tremendously. It was an incredible honor to have, to have that ring. That's especially, awesome. you know, pass it along to my kids, so that'd be great. Yeah, man, dude, that's awesome. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your history working on creative projects in the sports world? Of course. I mean... It's something I just kind of fell into, and, and what was so great, I mean, listening to Joe last week on the podcast, I mean, it, it's kind of a mirror image of, of some of the stuff that I've done in the past. I just love listening to him talk and the way he approached his work, and you know, especially from someone like that where I was at an SEC school and got to utilize his marks on many of the items that I worked on because our teams participated in those, those conference tournaments and championships that he represented so it's really cool to listen to him so this is just really a pleasure adam that you've taken this upon and 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 put this all together um so but yeah i mean i started in high school and uh worked for a student newspaper and was a sports editor played baseball kind of uh enjoyed sports and during that time um one of my friends in high school's father worked for the associated press in new orleans and uh the sports editor for louisiana for associated press her name was mary foster um asked if i could help her um be a runner and uh and take quotes at games and help her during the games and mainly uh, at a football game you know just to go get quotes while she was writing a story and this was in uh 90 about 95 96 and i did a few basketball games in the marriage center and uh my first game i sat in the press box uh was an lsu arkansas game and uh i sat two seats from Y.A. Tittle, of all people. So, I mean, just an incredibly amazing experience right off the bat. Um, so I worked for her even through college and uh, was a stringer and wrote some stories while she couldn't be there, and uh, but mostly just helped her out. And then also worked um, for Tiger Television, which is the campus uh, television station. KLSU, the campus radio station, and then, of course, then the Daily Reveille, which is the campus newspaper. Got back into designing and designed uh, the sports section. And while I was working there, I met the um, members of the sports information staff, Fred Demarest, who's at Florida now. He was at LSU as a track and field SID. And Herb Vincent, who was LSU's head SID, uh, who's now at the Southeastern Conference. And they said, hey, do you want to come work uh, over in media relations? And I had no idea what it was. 
So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's where, that's where I, how I got into the athletic department. I was supposed to be a swimming and diving SID. And um, about, a, about, fit, about two weeks, maybe four weeks in, uh, the public relations director at the time um, asked me if I knew Cork Express. And I said, sure, oh, design brutal. paper. <laughs> I was like, well, you're going to be designing the men's tennis media guide. And uh, it's, it's wonderful to look back at. And it's wonderfully horrible how bad it was at first. <laughs> so so you, you, didn't, you didn't go to school for graphic design. You kind of came in a, in a different direction. I have a journalism degree. Okay, cool. LSU, print journalism degree. And I've always taught myself graphic design. Um, and at that point, I would just, you know, I, my, I had most of my design experience was in magazine and newspaper design. So, you know, sub uh, headlines and subheads and bylines and uh, columns and square pictures and not many cutouts and uh, just typical day-to-day newspaper design. Um, But it always interests me to to make it a little bit more magazine style. I always tried to push the boundaries at that point. And then, um, you know, and then just when you got to the athletic department, um, a few years later, um, uh, I had, a the, the person left in front of me and I, I took over and we hired all graphic design students from LSU's graphic design school. And they taught me a ton. And I went through probably 20 to 25 different graphic design students and many of which own agencies here and work here in Baton Rouge and Louisiana and in Dallas. And, and every single time, each one, I learned something from them and just wanted to push myself as much as possible. So, so being there for, for that long, like 13 years, right? Was there a publications director position at that time? Like when did that, I'm trying to think when that came about. There was actually, uh, three publications directors before me. The first one actually is the, her name is Missy Setters. She is the executive director of the Independence Bowl in Shreveport now. So I get to talk, talk to her all the time. I used to volunteer for the Independence Bowl. And then, uh, the person I worked for went on to USA track and field and does communications there. And there was someone else before that, before her. And I was the student worker under her for two years. And uh, when she left for USA Track and Field, I, um, I took over and hired a student worker at that time. So, yeah, the position was in place. There was media guides, posters, and schedule cards. Very little advertising done at that time, but that was the core of it. How many, how many designers work in-house at, at LSU? When you were so there we, in the athletic yeah, we, department. So when we started, it was one one full time and one student, and then uh, the marketing department tried, this added an intern, but doing design. So we took that person under a few years later, and uh, currently today there's three full time and two students. Okay. Do you have like w- can you elaborate on the role of the publications director? Because it seems like from my experience, um, just knowing some, and then also working at IMG college that a lot of them end up being more creative directors as opposed to publications only directors. I think that it, the role changed tremendously throughout that time I was there. Uh, when I started, um, there was a website, you know, sports.lsu.edu. And then we rebranded it LSU sports.net, which it is currently today. And then it became more involved. So there was an additional expertise to, to know about. We weren't designing the site, the code, but we were building tons of graphics you know, that you, see, you typically see today on collegiate websites, um, promoting all sorts of events and honors for teams and, you know, postseason honors and things like that. And then that, so that was kind of one stage, you know, there was a heavy print with a little bit of digital and then it became heavy digital. And then social came around in 2009, and that kind of changed it even more. There was tons more graphic graphic assets to be made. Um, But the core of it was essentially the print projects, um, the media guides, game programs, schedule cards, posters, uh, advertising, um, um, emails to our fans. You know, we had this, uh, we make it so fans could opt in to the sports that they want to follow and they were getting emails. So we had massive email databases to stay in contact with fans. And, you know, some of those days, you know, you could have three, four different emails going out because you could have one going for swimming and then another one going for women's basketball and then another one going for baseball in the afternoon. So we'd build graphics for those. Um, so that was, that's essentially the, the core of it. It's in, I mean, when I first started, we did, uh, I did a lot of the business side of it too. We were, you know, having the price out, books and uh, coordinate deadlines and work with printers. And then later on, we uh, 
signed a multimedia rights holder and they kind of handled all that stuff. And we just implemented the, uh, the, the, the artwork and the design and the concept. And along with that, uh, helped them with their uh, sponsors and making sure the sponsors were properly displayed. Did, um, did you write articles and stuff too? I, I did just in that first, that first year as a student, but no, we are, our, our SIDs, um, our sports information directors, and the student SOIDs, they, they all wrote all the content. Um, we just did all the design work. So what about like coming up with headlines and stuff for campaigns for like a season? It was kind of a combination of both. We got, we got to a system towards the back end, the last probably, um, probably like five or seven years, where we would meet with the ticket office, the marketing department, uh, our multimedia rights holder, LSU Sports Properties, uh, that worked in our building. Uh, our SID staff and then our design staff and sometimes our photographer as well to just the concept, you know, where's the team at? We would meet sometimes with head coaches, sometimes with assistant coaches all in one meeting. You know, this is months out months before we would ever execute a plan. Um, pre-planning was important and, uh, we would just kind of figure out what do we want to do? What's our, what are, what's our goals? I mean, do we want more attendance? Uh, for one year it was, you know, let's get more, uh, we want the, the fans are there, but they're just not active. So, you know, that, that kind of was kind of some of the direction that we would have to, to lead into the season. Of course, you know, knowing your team, you know, knowing which star athletes or star coaches, or if there was a brand new coach, obviously, you know, there's a new coach. So that's going to be the center of attention. Speaking of that, like the coaches, how much say did they have anything, especially like the revenue sports, obviously football, basketball, it's their sport. They're the client. I mean, but that's what's great about it. The, the ones that, that really, they, they cared so much. It was so great to work with some of the coaches and coach Maneri and coach Gunner and coach Chapman and uh, coach Didi bro, gymnastics, legendary coach. And um, some of the men's basketball coaches. And of course, coach miles, um, you know, they, they had such, they, they had such a connection with, you know, a lot of the things that we were doing was for recruiting as well. So they obviously understood the importance of it and they would do anything that, you know, they would facilitate anything that we needed to make sure design was pulled off, whether we needed an extra hour for a photo shoot, you know, you know, we have very restricted times with photo shoots right. because they only have a certain amount of times with, with their, uh, their practice periods due to compliance. So, you know, they would make sure that we had everything we needed in place and the equipment staff and everything you need to, to run a successful photo shoot. Those are so key and important because in one day, you know, we were not just shooting a poster. We were shooting a schedule card. We were shooting all the game programs. We were shooting probably another 10 to 15 feature articles. So, I mean, and yeah. it, it added up and, and we had to execute pretty quickly. What well, on those... Uh... On those days, did um, did you ever find that the athletes got because obviously when you're shooting that much in one day, did and it's, say it's football, right? And maybe you're shooting football and it's super hot outside. I know for Eastern Kentucky University, which is my alma mater, um, I do their work, and so even with a small school like that, you know, we'll be outside shooting and, and sometimes, you know, these guys, they're hungry, they're, <laughs> you know, they want to be on the poster and all, but, but you're kind of living in the moment, right? Like I'm hungry, it's 95 degrees outside and I've got all my equipment on. So did you, did you run into that a whole lot? Well, I mean, at first when we did some photo shoots, where we tried to shoot a bunch of guys at a single time. Um, most teams are like that. Um, what we tried to do is scheduled it out, you know, and, 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 if we had to do a group shot, we would, we would start off with that first. And as we, if we need somebody to stay longer, they would just hold off into an, an air conditioned area or on the side and we would schedule it out. Um, and then some photo shoots where we didn't have a group shot, you know, guys would come every 30 to 40 minutes and we, we just knew we'd have to be there for a few hours and that way they had enough time to change and get ready. And, um, and we didn't mind them sweating, you know, cause that makes the pictures even better. Right. Sometimes we bring the spray bottles out there and, and that always added to it. Yeah, so. get them doing some push-ups or something, get, yeah. get pumped up there. What um, Did you shoot everybody? Um, did you try to shoot a lot of people individually? Because I know I ran into, um, when I first started doing this years ago, uh, just you know, not knowing, right, and learning as you go, where you know, I would shoot an entire group 
and then like you get back and you get the photo and you're like, man, I, I don't like the way this person looks or like that angle or whatever. And, but you have to work with it, right? Cause what are you going to do? Cut it out. Cause there's like guys, body parts are missing cause they're tucked in behind somebody else. So I shoot everything individually now and then composite it together. Is that what you guys did down there as well? We did both. And, and you're exactly right. When you tried to do the whole team, it was, it was, you know, you had to find that perfect shot and you'd zoom all the way in you know, to all the faces and that one person would be off. But I think what happened with us is the cameras got better. But when we started doing the cameras weren't that great. Right when around they had the Nikon D1s, you know, it was only producing like a maybe a 10 inch wide image, maybe an eight inch wide image in digital. So what we what we would do and what we'd still do today um, is shoot maybe three to four people. So if we had 12, we would just composite three to four people, three to four people, and three to four people. So now we had them all. And we'd use tripods to make sure we're at the same height, um, you know, to make sure the angles were right. But, but mostly on those type of shots, those were definitely on a, on a backdrop or they were going to be definitely cut out. So, yeah, we, w- we would definitely do that. And we shot some that were just individual photos as well. Um, but, yeah, it really just it, it, it got easier because, one, we added some photography staff at LSU uh, Steve Franz has been there a long time. And then we added some students as well that just are phenomenal portrait shooters and they all just help each other out. So we could move a lot faster than we used to. So everything just kind of made it a little bit easier and smoother. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, photography is such a, a must have investment in my opinion in, in projects like this, because at the end of the day, the, the photograph is, you know, it's going to make or break this thing. We, we could do like the coolest design work in the world, but if the photo sucks or if it's like low res, you know, it, it's going to be bad no matter what. It, it was the most important thing to the visual, you know, not the visual identity, but the visual of the university. You know, when you're trying to describe to a recruit a facility, you have to have that facility shown off in a perfect way. When you're trying to show off a, a student athlete, you know, you can tell the difference between a good and a great photograph and an amazing photograph that's lit perfectly and, and composited perfectly and, um, you know, tone, the skin is perfect and there's tons of contrast. It just adds to the feeling. And that's what all it comes down to is the emotion and feeling that you want to get out of a piece. We have tons of loyal, LSU has tons of loyal fans and they are very passionate about their sport and if you don't show that emotion in in your work that you're not going to have an impact to the people you're trying to show it to whether it's a fan or alumni or or faculty or staff or students so talking about photos and skin tones i can remember (laughs) (laughs) it's just brutal like you know taking uh not me personally taking the images but receiving images back when i worked for um img college which at the time it was called host communications um before it was before img bottom but Uh um we you know you'd have to color correct hundreds of images during football season and then everybody you know you just get all these different skin tones and and then there's like this crazy like blue background or whatever just some extreme background and so like you have to you know you're you're editing these things and then it's like you know the background ends up being all kinds of different colors but if you you know when you put them in the the roster area because you're trying to focus on the skin tones and not that solid blue or whatever color the background is i just think that's always funny when you see that in game programs or whatever where where, you know, that the background is always so different because, you know, we tend to focus on the skin tones. Yeah, it's important to shoot. It's important to shoot the same exact way with all those headshots. And, right. and, and they, they had it down to a system. They, they got really good at it. And we were able to knock out a bunch in a day, but then also not to have to do their cameras were set in a way where we really didn't do much post to it. You know, they did a, such a great job, especially when you got to the I mean, now they're on D4s. I mean, just the Nikons they were using, yeah. just phenomenal images pop right off and just very little editing. So that helped tremendously. But, you know, we'd run a batch and autocorrect oh, yeah. all those images yeah. because they're all going to be shot the same way. And they knew that as a photographer. They knew that to shoot yeah, that see, all the same way. For, uh, for us being a third party, I mean, we would get, you know, who knows how good oh, yeah. it would be right i mean it's oh, yeah, just you get it. we got it from visiting <laughs> we got it from visiting teams for game programs for years yeah, yeah and it got a little better i think espn um and cbs and because we're sec school um they delivered all these like examples and templates of how to shoot for them 
So that just became the norm, you know, oh, the, gray, the cool. gray background. And that really helped um, consistency, not just from LSU team to team, but all the teams in the SEC and then teams across the country, they, they all were kind of shooting headshots the same way. So that helped tremendously. That's a nice system that they've developed there then. I mean, that seems like that helps a lot. It does. It does. You know, shoot, shoot that image horizontal, wider than you think, you know, because you never know how it's going to be cropped. You know, right. how many times you've got an image and it's cropped too tight and it doesn't fit the box that you want it to fit in. So all those were all those were solved by ESPN and CBS with helping with this have these templates and kind of guiding the photographers how to shoot it properly. Yeah. So what um, what kind of projects would would come through the door at you know in the athletic department? What kind of stuff would you work on? Anything visual. So um, is the core of it would be logos and the the things we talked about before and the media guides and we'd spend a ton of time on media guides and. Um, we were obviously a, a part of the sports information office. Um, and then we'd work with our marketing team on advertising and emails and, um, promotional items. Um, you know, wherever you could put an LSU logo, we put it, right. <laughs> you know, we put it on branding, some man, branding, branding everywhere. <laughs> uh, um, we would, we would do a lot of, uh, commemorative items, you know, so we would, you know, come up with a commemorative poster or, or a coin or, you know, we, we turned vector artwork into metal coins for coach Gerard's final game as a softball coach. Um, and then it extended out to working with the teams and their environmental signage. So, you know, there's some amazing companies out there that do environmental signage for college teams. So we would kind of be the liaison with those groups yeah. and make sure that they, you know, we were kind of the brand police obviously, and trying to make sure that, they're using the marks the right way and, and moving forward because when you install those things, these are uh, high dollar installs and you want to make sure that it's going to be good, not just for a year or two, it's got to be good for a good decade, probably more. And essentially what all those became, and it became a media guide on walls, you know, yeah. a hall of fame on walls. They were taking our, the content written by the SIDs and the photographs collected by our photographers and our designed by our staff and taking these media guides and throwing it on the wall. And then, um, you know, we did, uh, if, if you go to LSU at the back of tiger stadium scoreboard, um, on both on the, it's now only on the North side, we did designs for that. So it's a pretty large billboard at the, when it first was built, it was like 130 feet wide. And then, at baseball, they have the Intimidator, which is in right field, has the national championships on that. So we've updated that multiple times throughout the decade. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it really went from as little thing as a, a small pin giveaway to a massive sign to, to uh, you know, 18-wheeler trailers that equipment room that the equipment managers use to, to – to bring the equipment for each of the football games. Wow. So and all it, it this and your all this and your title is publications director. <laughs> right? It's like I, yeah. I you know, it's like I was saying, man. I mean, that's like a creative, it's creative director. It's creative you're, director. You're, you're yeah. doing you're doing everything. Um what what's your favorite project you worked on? Um I would say two things. Um kind of football related. Uh Dan Bornet is uh our PA announcer for Tiger Stadium. And uh, he wrote a poem. Um, and in 2000, I want to say it was 2011 football media guide. We kind of did like a, a, just words on the, on the front page of the, uh, on the, on the cover of the media guide. And it was, it was actually based off of, a, we, we used those words and did a video and the video still is played in Tiger Stadium. And it, it's been about five years now. It's such a great video. It's it's about Death Valley. It's a pantheon of concrete and steel, and uh, and it has all these words. And we did this kind of like it was just so different, and uh, it wasn't your typical uh, portraits of athletes. It wasn't your typical um, action photos cut out uh, or a picture of a stadium. It was it was just words that brought true emotion of of Death Valley, which. It's Death Valley and Tiger Stadium. There's tons of emotion already there. It wasn't hard to do. The way he wrote it, it was just fantastic. And then, um, you know, a few years later, I was talking about before we had to, um, we used to do a campaign by team, you know, each year. So that you'd have all these different kind of, um, I guess, tone uh, branding, like um, 
like campaigns, like, you know, it's time or, or rise up or it's all together now, you know, you got your typical, uh, slogans you have. And what we decided, um, in 2012 was to do one across the board that would just make people, you know, all the fans that not, they they were coming to games, but just really make them want to get engaged. So we came up with stand right up and roar, which is, um, part of the, one of the LSU fight songs. And it's just the, the words and, and, and we just consistently use that across the board. So it started with volleyball, soccer, football in the fall and moved into basketball and golf and, and then baseball and softball in the spring and all the other sports. And we were able to, you know, enable, it enabled us to have a consistent brand, uh, a consistent slogan across the board that people would recognize. And it's still used today. And there's hashtag LSU roar that goes with it. And you can search hashtag LSU roar on Instagram and Twitter and find all sorts of pictures from years back and even till today. And that's how you actually, if you use those hashtags today and they'll use, they'll take that hashtag and play, you know, they'll show the, the picture that you posted on the, on the video boards when you're at a baseball game or a, or a basketball game or a football game. So it, it's really grown and it was really cool to see something go that was able to be used across the board. And it, it took a lot of um, discipline to not get bored with it. You know, you want to keep changing, yeah. but you had to find a new creative way the whole rest of the year to use that stand right up and roar and use it, you know, to work around, you know, the team that you're working with. And it, it kind of made it, it kind of was, it was different and fun, but it's great because it's, it took a long time for people to recognize it. And now it's kind of a staple of the university. Um, the, the, on the, uh, we kind of, the, the university side, the thing called love purple, live gold a few years earlier that did really, really well, just a great campaign. And, uh, we wanted to do something that, help kind of establish the athletic side to, to bring in some excitement back to some of the sports outside of football, some of the other sports. So I dig it, man. Consistency, branding, branding, branding. That's, yes. that's, that's the big thing. Well, I, mean, well, I, I just want to say, I mean, you know, a volleyball poster would come out and there's in, in July or August and their season's done in November. And maybe someone would have missed that slogan, but this enabled that slogan to have a length of time to be caught by many eyeballs at many different times. So it just, it just, it built on itself. Do you think that's, uh, is, is that going to be setting the tone for the future? I mean, is that something that in, in athletics that we'll begin to see more as opposed to individual sports having their own? I think it's uh, the athletic department wide, not in individual sports, um, because it kind of unifies the athletic department. Um, I think <laughs> what y'all were talking about last time with uh, with Joe. I mean, you know, an athletic department brand has to be used on so many different applications, and yeah. the way you design for football is so different than what you design for baseball and basketball and golf and. So, yeah, I mean, it just has to be something that could be unify the athletic department as a whole is I think is the key when you do that. And, and you've, I've seen other schools do it. Um, um, I know Washington had one that was really good, uh, a few years back. Um, it was, it was related to purple <laughs> too. It's like, yeah, go, go purple, be bold. I think, I think, uh, what, I think Under Armour did something like in-house, a few years back for Northwestern, which was like, I, I want to say it was something to the effect of 14 sports, one team kind of thing, mm-hmm. which, which I thought was really interesting and a really, uh, a really good, good copywriting actually. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the key. I think that's one of the, the things that college athletics is missing is great copywriting. And when you, when you have it, that's why I referenced that piece by Dan Bornet. I mean, it just was incredible copy and it, it had hit so many, uh, emotional strings with the LSU fan on so many different levels. So that's the design is, you know, it looks good. It, you know, either way it, but when you pe- when you put that and combine it with a great message, it has so much more power. I totally agree, man. And, and one of the worst things about design in the sports world is that people tend to focus so much on this highly visual, photo illustration or photography or whatever. And then it's like all the typography is just so secondary. And in my opinion, man, a lot of, a lot of, 
I see a lot of these athletic posters come out and I'm just like the typography on these things is just brutal. It's terrible. And it's like the, be- here's the thing. What's the point, right? Like is the point to look at these photographs or is the point to be able to read the schedule poster, you know? Uh, that's a great, that's the great question. It depends who the poster's for, you know? And to me, it's always been about building the brand of that team. And, yeah. and then secondary, Hey, the schedule's on there too. You got to remember when those schedule posters and those schedule cards were made, you know, a decade and a half ago, there were no mobile devices. <laughs> there was no website yeah, where I could right. quickly find the schedule. You know, they you, you found it in the newspaper, but you were lucky if the newspaper carried it. You know, right, right. Um, so <laughs> I think those kind of became secondary, and now you could use these these posters as a as, as a great promotional tool. Yeah, it is how much. Um, how much return do you do you feel like you get on these posters? Because obviously, posters being print, and you know, you're talking about digital now. Um, are are people still responding pretty well to posters and things like that? I mean, if anything, the restaurants and the bars and the local businesses put it up. It's hard to tell because you can't see. But I've seen at fan days. I mean, the posters are all gone. You know, yeah. we have a. A placard poster, which is kind of a cardboard poster, a little bit smaller. Our typical posters are 18 by 24. Um, the placard poster, I think, was uh, maybe like 12 by 20. And it's just this poster that emphasizes probably half of it is the schedule, and you write in the score. And every single year, within a week, they were all gone. And most of them were all gone at the, at the, at the fan day in August. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to put a number on that stuff. But you still see it around town, and that's how you kind of know. Yeah. What <laughs> What does it feel like to uh, to see your work in uh, you know as a you know really a part of an athletic legacy of a prominent athletic program? Uh, it, it's still strange every day, but there's a lot of great people that were involved. I mean, we we did a rebrand back in 2002, and. And, and I'm just kind of, I just kind of feel like I'm the, I was the facilitator of a lot of people's great work and I designed some of the pieces, but we had a lot of great designers and, and we worked with a lot of, uh, at the time, a really good agency to, to kind of develop the brand. So, uh, and then continue to build the brand. So, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, just see the work everywhere is still weird. And it's even since I've been gone, it, it's, I still see it. And I'm just like, well, I guess I did that. So I guess it's cool to show your kid, but that's about it. Yeah. Do <laughs> no you, one else, no one else really knows, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What do you, um, d- did you guys, um, try to keep as much stuff as possible in house or did you, uh, you mentioned an agency. Did you have like an agency of record that was doing some, some things for you? No, there was never, um, an agency. Um, that was, a. am talking about the rebrand, like in 2001, okay. where we went from block, uh, block LSU script tigers, which is kind of like an eighties mark, um, to a whole rebrand back then. That was a one-time thing. Um, but no, we wouldn't, we would not outsource anything except for, um, they used a new line for the website, but our webmaster was in-house and worked in sports information and then in sports properties actually worked in our office for a time as well. And then, um, our video department, the, the marketing department would outsource some videos, um, just those high end, you know, uh, opening, uh, uh, before the game starts videos. What do you call those? Um, Oh yeah. The intro videos. Intro videos. Yeah. So that's about the it. I mean, we tried to do everything in house, the environmental signage when they're bringing in all these metals and woods and emissions, um, you know, we, those, I guess would be considered outsourced and they would design some of it, but we would always, always consult on it. Yeah. So you might've had a vendor that had to produce like a physical thing or whatever, but yes. as far as like ideas and things, you weren't, you weren't outsourcing. Ideas were all done for marketing sports information and our publication staff. Gotcha. Can you, can you talk, touch on the whole rebranding a little bit there? Cause obviously last week, um, Joe and I were talking about branding, branding schools, him doing so much work in the college athletics world. Um, and then just like the stakeholders that are involved, like fans wise, and maybe like discuss some of the pushback that maybe you had from, you know, lifelong LSU fans. Well, let me, how do I explain it? I don't call any of the, I don't call it pushback or, or any, I think that the emails and the, um, 
message boards and Twitter and Facebook comments. I think it's the greatest focus group you could ever imagine because a lot of companies, you know, especially where I work now, they would love to know what their customers thought of them, you know, cause you just don't get yeah. honest answers. So I always looked at it as a positive. I mean, you take it with a grain of salt. Yes. There's going to be somebody that just always will not like it, but then you, there's a lot of great comments. There's a lot of constructive comments. There's a lot of, uh, things that you could take and, and, and utilize to, um, to benefit what you were trying to do. Um, from a brand standpoint, we, we, we updated the brand in 2001, 2002. It launched, um, and um, we kind of switched and went through a whole transition there. And then what happened was we had a mark there that just wasn't working with retailers and wasn't working with applications that we needed it on. Um, so then we started to simplify it. And then two years later, uh, the LSU letters that you see everywhere now um, ended up on a, a, a Nike shirt. It was part of the original branding. It just was never used as the primary mark. So then we kind of did that. And then we put a tiger head over it and we made that a media mark. And then we simplified it again. And now in like in 2006 or five, um, the LSU letters became not only the athletic department uh, official logo, but the university's official logo. So when you walk, wow. or, when you walk around LSU's campus or you look at LSU.edu, it's those LSU letters. And, and, and that's something that's going to be around for a really long time. A lot of investments gone into it. And then it's an athletic department. There's no one great solution. You, you put LSU as many places as you possibly can. Um, but you're going to have tiger heads and we have a tiger eye that's on the 50 yard line. Um, and there's other applications that it needs to go on. So there's not a perfect solution. We actually, uh, part of that branding in 2002, we, we're, we, uh, had a custom font made. Now it's all capital letters and there was three different versions of it, but essentially today it's, uh, the go extended font, um, which is owned by the university and used only by the university. And, um, I think that is, y'all talked about that last week. It, it's tremendously important. Um, now it's not the most usable font, but you know, when it is used, um, it, it, it's, it's very distinctive that that's definitely LSU. So I think that's just one other little thing, you know, when you see a project and you have pictures and, uh, and photographs of, uh, of people on a poster or, or, or whatever type of material you're putting out and you have that consistent LSU brand and you know, instantly that that's LSU, that's, that's the key. So, and then but you uh, just can't go ahead. I was going to say that's interesting because um, it seems like a lot of um, schools, universities try to keep like a separation between like athletics and and um, and, you know, like the actual corporate university. Right. Right. So, so them adopting that, that's kind of an interesting thing. So it just I think it just somebody once said I can't remember who it was, but it was it was something along the lines of athletics is like the front porch of your university. That's that's what they say at LSU. So so you guys embraced it full force, man, making it the yeah. actual identity of the university. That's cool. Yeah, and it came from the university side. It was not forced in any way. It was it just had a lot of success. It had a lot of success, you know, coming off of 2003 and then 2007's national championship. Uh, 2006, we had two teams go to the final four. It just had a, a new presence, you know, internationally and um you, why not unify the university? Right. What uh that that um that tiger eye man in the middle of the field, that thing always <laughs> always interests me because it's sort of does it like fade out or something? So like I'm blown away how you do that with like paint. So uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> Eric Fosbender is a groundskeeper now. Uh, that's not his right. That's a, that's an old school title. He's director of grounds or facilities. He he does ma he does he makes magic happen on Alex Box Stadium's field and and Tiger Stadium's field. The grass is unbelievable since he's been there. They used to have all these issues, and he does an incredible job. So essentially, that Tiger Eye was there in the '80s, and um, Coach Saban brought it back. And somewhere after the '80s, I believe Nike vectorized that logo. So we had a vector version of it that you saw with merchandise and then it was painted on the field. And what's different about it is the, the logo, the vector version is really horizontal. 
But according to the NCAA rules, you have to stay within 10 yards in the middle. It's got to be from the 45 to the 45. So it's a little bit of squeeze, but then it also, it's supposed to have this feeling where the eye is coming up from the grass, looking up, and it fa- it's supposed to fade out. It's not a true consistent image with the, the vector logo that you might see on, on, on a marketing or merchandise items. So, but yes, it is faded out and it is hand painted every single week. And they, they paint it not only there, but they paint it in softball sometimes too and soccer as well. Some of, uh, it's definitely unique, man. And some of those things I feel like are completely, um, underrated in, in this world of sports design and sports creativity, because, you know, that's, that's some craftsmanship right there. Yeah. I mean, we would work together with, with our facilities group and, um, I would start vector wise, uh, with, you know, baseball fields or the football field. We had it all plotted out and, and we had it down to a science where, you know, if we gave ourselves enough time and we planned enough in advance, um, we could send the stencil off to come back and, and paint it on the field. So we were, it was all pretty much predetermined and predesigned. Um, but what they do that's incredible is these regionals that happen so fast. You know, they find out, hey, we're hosting an NCAA baseball regional on a Sunday night, and we have all these teams. And by Wednesday, the grounds crew will take those logos and paint them by hand and have it on the field ready to go. And the field looks amazing. That's nuts. So you not LSU is a Nike school, right? So Joe well, and I like- essentially, essentially not, not full on. Um, some of the, some of the teams are, but, um, you know, our, our, our baseball team will swing a, a D Marini bat or, you know, a golf team might oh, not okay, use a yeah, Nike yeah. club. So it's not right. a full on Nike contract. Right. Um, uh, like I think Michigan had one. Um, but, but for uniforms and apparel, mostly it, it is Nike. Yeah. So Joe and I were touching on on the last show a, a little bit about um, their involvement, how heavy it's starting to become in college athletics programs. Did they have that, uh, that much involvement with you guys? I know that you, obviously not being a full on Nike school, but from the apparel perspective, I mean, that's like, you know, that's what they do. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've redesigned um, with our equipment staff and our coaching staff and myself at times. Uh, I was always came in on the back end, um, you know, usually just with some vector artwork help. Um, but we were able to, they redesigned baseball uniforms and basketball uniforms and, uh, and football this past year had some new number fonts, uh, and they did all that. And then, and then, um, we, we just finished a pro a project, uh, in this past summer that first appeared on the LSU basketball court with a new tiger head. And that's something that I did for probably about three years on and off. Um, we were trying to re- replace an existing tiger head that we had that was established back in 2002. And, um, and at the back end of our process, Nike definitely assisted because they needed to, to make it so that artwork was, you know, able to be applied to all the things that they needed for the stitching. And right. so they, they just came in and helped and cleaned up and, made sure we were going in the right direction because obviously uh, our brand is important to them because of the products that they provide. And um, so, but yeah, that, that, that new tiger head was definitely helpful with Nike's group. And then um, it ended up on the basketball uniforms on their shorts. And then it just ended up most recently on the side of the helmet for the spring football game uh, for just a, about a month ago. So. Yeah, and and I mean cleaning it up really is essentially what they did for uh, Florida State too, right? Because I mean, if you watch any of the the videos behind it, well, that uh, I mean they, the Florida State stuff is definitely a complete refresh. And I did that. We did that refresh in house at LSU over that period of time. This about this two years, three years, and then Nike literally just fixed a few little spots on it, and they just wanted to make sure it worked. So that refresh was done in house by my, myself and our team at LSU. Yeah, but I mean, what I'm saying is like it's a it's a brand refresh for sure. But as far as like the looking at just the logo, right? Like just right. the the um, the the head there. Like all they did really to that was go in and just sort of vectorize it a little more to make it easier applicable to multiple surfaces, right? I mean, it, there's not a whole lot of redesign to that logo itself. But they added additional visual elements. Not a redesign. It's a refresh, and it's just as difficult because you you're trying to in that sense, you're trying to make this thing that has been seen, you know, for in our case with the tiger head, it had been on the helmet since 1972. 
it has to still appear and feel like LSU as soon as you see it. And if you draw something off a little bit, you could throw somebody off and now it doesn't look like LSU anymore. And I could imagine the same thing happened with Florida State. You know, the kind of that balance where we have to modernize this, you know, this mark that's been around that was probably hand-drawn 30, 40 years ago and make it so it works in applications of 2014, you know, has, needs to work on a 500-pixel-wide uh, social media profile picture, and it has to work very large on the side of a stadium if they blow it up on wide format printing. So, You, you said something that stuck out to me, and, and that's that it needs to feel like LSU. I think that's something with a lot of these – um, a lot of the criticisms you get or, or if you go in any kind of uh, sports logo, sports uniform forums or anything like that, there tends to be a lot of subjective material where somebody doesn't really understand the processes behind it or the stakeholders that were involved. But the whole thing about a brand, you know, is that it's it's a feeling, right? And that's always something that's been appealing to me is that I discussed it with Joe when when Nike took over, actually even when when Coach Cal took over, UK basketball, the feeling of UK basketball was completely different. And it's like this indescribable thing, you know, mm -hmm. I always thought that was really interesting in athletics. Yeah. I mean, it, it was important for us. Um, that helmet been around a long time and it was important to me that the shape of the tiger head, the new one was the, ex it's the exact same shape of the existing one. It takes up the same space and area. There's nothing going to be, He's not wider. He's not skinnier. And that, that just kind of reference kind of builds the, the, the foundation for consistency. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's very, very important. And it can be taken in so many different ways, you know, how you react to it. Both of us live in SEC country, obviously. Why do you think that college sports brands are so important in this region? Well, I mean, <laughs> I grew up in it. You know, I remember in elementary school wearing an LSU shirt all five days of the week at school. You know, I just grew up with it. I, you know, parents had season tickets in the south end zone of Tiger Stadium, and we lived in Metairie, which is 70 miles away. I know people that live in, my wife's from Shreveport, and people that live in Shreveport will drive down four hours, four and a half hours, every time there's a home game. It's just, it's just something that people have done. They've passed on to their kids, and, um, you know, everyone here has a, it, it's their team. It's a vested interest. And, and now with the saints, you know, doing so great, uh, you know, in recent years, it, it, it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's great. Saturdays are LSU and Sundays are saints. And, you know, there's other great colleges in the state as well. So I just think it's just, I just think it's something that's just passed down and it's, and it's, it's, it's grown um, just because it's been around and it, they've, they've, they've made it even better every year. You know, everything's about the stadiums are better. The television broadcasts are better. Uh, the, the play on the field is tremendously better. I mean, yeah. these athletes are unbelievable. Oh, so. the entire experience around college football, just in general, especially in the sec. I, I usually try to make it a, a um, and I don't want to make this an SEC love fest, obviously, but but I usually try to make it to a different away game every year, and just to experience the culture of of the tailgating experience. Mm -hmm. It's great. Yeah, and, it's I mean, great. at LSU, uh, traffic might be a problem. It's because tailgating is more important. You know, yeah, we don't we don't want you to come in and park in order. We want you to go find your tailgate spot and stay all day. You know, right. and you know, getting out might be a little hassle, but. That's the that's part of the fun and excitement that's unique to college campuses on game days. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to see why the NFL doesn't play more night games on Sunday just so they can have more tailgating time at some of these stadiums. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding, man. So um, LSU's athletic department was sort of on the front end of creating these in-house social media accounts, especially with Twitter. And did you create that LSU publications account? Yeah, so like in 2009 – What's this Twitter thing? What are we going to do with it? And uh, we were sitting at a conference, you know, in conference room table and, and uh, talking about how we're going to utilize it. And we talked about, you know, hey, how do, how do we get scores? You know, how do we get scores right now? We, we person's going to go to the website. You know, we're not going to send a text message to, to all of our fans every time we want to update the score. So this kind of was like, okay, we, we can do score updates. So we started 
you know, at, at LSU sports account and we did an at LSU basketball account just because it was that time of year and we just started playing with it. Our SIDs and myself and um, our marketing staff, we just started continue to grow it and just, you know, tried it out and got obviously social media has two things on, on Twitter. They have followers and on Facebook, they have fans. LSU Athletics, what do they have? Fans and followers. So it's a natural fit. And that's why sports is so big when it comes to social media. And um, so, yeah, we, we established um, all the sports. We, you know, it was really important to get as many accounts as possible for all of our team names. So we secured those names on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We tried blogging for a while. Uh, that wasn't as successful um, just because Twitter and Facebook were doing so great. And, um, and yeah, we, we actually had fun with uh, at LSU Mike Tiger, which is an account for the mascot Tiger, which our marketing staff used to do some of the writing for. And it was really fun and exciting. And, and it was just kind of like the super fan. And Mike was just funny and hysterical. And it was a great follow to, um, to our at LSU publications where, you know, uh, we were doing all this work for all the teams. And, and I just felt as though sometimes that, you know, it, an email went out today, but maybe only a certain amount of people saw it. So why not? Let's, let's share it to our, our publications account and let's just share our work. And, and our number one goal was to be supportive of our, of our other accounts. We were, we were, you know, inside and we wanted to be the number one fan of our own sports. So why not be like a fan on social media and, and give our fans, you know, fun pictures to put on their profile picture and, uh, always build some hype and have gold games and you know, build excitement around sports and events that and players that we had on our teams. Yeah, that's that's cool to to, um, to give sort of a even a behind the scenes view. I think that you guys, I know for me personally, you were one of the first ones that I discovered doing that kind of stuff as far as specific to LSU publications. A lot of teams were doing one Facebook page and one Twitter account for the entire athletic department. And we realized really quickly that the, you know, no offense to any sport, but the softball fan might not be different than the swimming and diving fan, which is different than the women's basketball, football, baseball fan. So we realized that you can't just have one account. So we quickly, very quickly enabled accounts for all our sports. And then our coaches got on board. And if you go to lsusports.net slash fan cage, um, you can see a full listing of all the LSU teams. And, and we built that page probably, oh man, probably like the first, the first year, it's like 2010 of having the accounts. And, um, it just made it easier for all of our fans to find all of our accounts. And we kept that up to date and, uh, kind of like our social media hub. And today, uh, one, our, our, um, assistant football SID and gymnastics SID, Jake Terry, he's in charge of social media for LSU athletics. And he does a great job training all the staff and coaches and, and managing all the pages. And he doesn't do posting for all the pages. We have tons of staff to do all that, but he, does, he posts to, main, to to football and some of the other accounts and they just do a great job. They're just such good communicators and writers. And that's obviously super important. So, um, if people go to lsusports.net slash posters, they can see a lot of work that you've done there in, in years past, right? Basically everything before 2014 would be, you were a part of, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so once, once, uh, I guess on your Twitter, the LSU publications, Twitter account, it says only LSU can produce a media guide that gives you goosebumps. What are they referring to there? They're referring to that poster that I was talking about before with Dan Bournay's poem. That was uh, at Football Scoop. They wrote us yeah. that tweet one day, and I just, you know, it, it, it made that was probably the best compliment I could ever get. You know, that wasn't from like an actual athlete. You know, like talking about you know how it made them feel, but like from just random people, random, you know, have no affiliation with them at all, and they wrote something like that. Uh, that, that goes back to what we were talking about before you got to hit on the emotion. Uh, and that's not just in sports that's in, you know, in, in advertising for any company, you know, you have to have some type of connection and it doesn't, I'm saying emotional, it could be sad. It could be happy. You just have to have some type of tie in. Yeah. Now you, now that you're no longer at LSU, um, I'm going to, I can ask you this question. Did you ever get tired of it? Like working on the same school over and over and over and over? 
No, I, I don't think so. I mean, it, it was, uh, you know, to work on something that so many people are interested in and family and friends, you know, this is what they do as well. That that's what came, kept it, you know, really interesting. And then the people that I worked with, so extremely talented, you know, SIDs that are extremely well known, been in the business for many, many decades, um, uh, coaches and athletes. I mean, you have in, in, no, co- <laughs> you, you, you go through these coaches and players and they just change in and out and there's always something new to do. And the technology's changed. So that made it really fun to, to kind of establish, um, you know, different ways to do things throughout the years. So I think it, if, if it was always just going to be posters and media guides and schedule cards, yeah, it probably would have got boring and uh, game programs. But when you added in social media and, and what we did at LSUsports.net and some of our other uh, websites affiliated with the athletic department, there was just always something new to do. Cool. Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're at now? Fill us in and then also tell us where we can find you online, Twitter, all those places. Sure. So I'm at a Mesh Integrated Marketing and Advertising. It's a full service ad agency in Baton Rouge, MeshBR.com, um, doing ad campaigns and and projects and uh, tele- I'm doing my I'm actually working on my first television commercial um, for a bank and uh, all sorts of different healthcare clients and and um, uh, just many different industries that I never thought I'd be working in. Learning a ton. Um, we have an incredible experienced team here that's just done amazing award-winning work for year after year after year. Um, I mean, you're, you, you're very familiar with the American advertising federation and the advertising awards yeah. and, and this group we averages 25 a year and it's won national and district Addies before. And it's just a truly an honor to work with them and, and learn from them and, um, and just kind of grow as a, as a creative person. I'm, um, you know, I've obviously, like we talked about before, started in journalism and taught myself graphic design. And now I'm trying to learn the, the account side and, uh, the business side of, of, and working with clients every day and, and just, just trying new things every day and learning every day and, and growing. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's really a great experience and, and, I'm really, uh, happy to, to, to move here and, and work, work, work with this group of uh, people at mesh and, um, but yeah, so you, we're at uh, meshbr.com and Twitter at meshbr. And then my Twitter account is at J Fearman. It's J F E I R M A N. So cool, man. I really appreciate it. No problems, Adam. Thank you. My pleasure. I really enjoyed listening to the other podcasts. Can't, can't wait for the other ones coming in the future. Cool, man. Awesome. This week in sports creative news, uh, the Orlando City Lions recently released a new identity for the soccer club. Uh, it looks like based on the articles and some of the some of the chat on Twitter is that it was produced via spec work. What, Jason, what are your thoughts on spec work? Well, is that a trick? Is that a trick question? <laughs> no, no, man. No, that one just popped up. Well, you know. Yeah, you'd rather be paid to do your work before you instead of just give it away. Right. So that's my thoughts on it. But um, some instances when you, you, you know, the reward outweighs you know, the time you spent, the, you know, everyone sacrifices a little bit. So some spec work might be worth the reward. Um, Golf Digest also just released their latest issue with a design overhaul, including their masthead by Luke Heyman of Pentagram. That magazine is owned by Condé Nast, which also is uh, owns Men's Health and a couple other publications. They are notorious for great art direction content and editorial design. I'm a subscriber to their iPad edition. Uh, I highly recommend checking them out if you like golf or if you just like design, period. It's, it's beautiful videos and and interactions fast company uh recently released their annual 100 most creative people in business issue and in it are a few folks that work in the sports industry including james carnes who is the vp and head of global design at adidas 
Also, Rob King, who's a senior VP at ESPN, he led the ma- uh, the major redesign of the Sports Center app. And then also Dwayne Edwards, founder of Pen Soul Footwear Design Academy. Dwayne is a former brand director on Brand Jordan, and he founded Pen Soul to change the conversation from kids wanting to run, jump, and dunk in their sneakers to uh, designing the product that they spend so much money on. Our next guest is gonna be Todd Radom. Todd is an independent designer that focuses on identity work for professional sports franchises and events. If you happen to follow him on Twitter, you'll also notice that he's an expert in the aesthetics of basketball as well as other sports graphics. He's designed identities for the MLB, NBA, and the Super Bowl. You can follow the show on Twitter at Makers of Sport. Uh, you can also follow me personally at T Adam Martin. And then the site is actually now up, so go check it out, makersofsport.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, makersofsport.com slash iTunes, or listen on soundcloud.com slash makersofsport. I appreciate it. Until next time, thanks again, Jason. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Bye.